last week you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump, or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call an eight 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 money pit. Money Pit is presented by Home Advisor. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we are here to help you with your home improvement and decor projects. Our mission is to educate, to inspire, to help you build some confidence on the projects you guys would like to get done and to kind of pretty much simply guide you on how to get it done. Get it done once, get it done right, so you don't have to get it done again. But your job is to first help yourself by picking up the phone because this is a participation show. Show. We welcome your calls at one eight 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 Money Pit. Coming up on today's program, as summer heat starts to fade, now is a very good time to plan for end of summer projects. Kind of sets you up for the cooler months ahead. We're going to walk you through five projects that'll save you time, money, and help you avoid some potentially very expensive repairs when the cold weather arrives. Plus, your garage sure gets a workout in the fall and the winter, which is why now is a great time to fix up that garage floor. We're going to have some tips on the best way that you can get this done using epoxy paint. And speaking of painting, you know, painting the exterior job, you know, Leslie, that's a job that you got to do every, say, five to ten years. But, man, it is not one you look forward to. I mean, it's a lot of work. But more and more people are taking on the job themselves, so we figure why not help with a few pro house painting tips to speed that project along. And can you imagine a breezy summer evening in your backyard with fireflies dancing around and you and your family watching your favorite movie? I mean, this has definitely been a big trend in this pandemic summer. Everybody's screening outdoor movies. So we're going to help you build your own backyard movie screen. Plus, we're going to help one listener get started with the right tools because we're giving away the Arrow T25X wire stapler to help. Plus, we've got an Arrow T50 to go in that package. They're going out to one caller drawn at random. To qualify, pick up the phone and call us or post your question at moneybit.com. That number again is one eight 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 moneybit Let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Heading over to Florida, we've got Beverly on the line who's got a question about siding. What's going on? Are you installing it yourself? It's just a, a, a shed, and it's 10 by 10, and I've had some siding that I got, some vinyl siding. And I wanted to put it on the shed, and I figured the shed's only eight feet high, so I'd be able to, you know, put it on myself. Okay. But uh, I heard conflicting opinions about whether I should use screws or nails. Oh, so, okay. So, you know, one, one hardware store guy goes, use screws, another one says, use nails. And it's going on um, uh, Oriental strand board, and then I put <laughs> okay. uh, tar paper. Yeah. So it's not it's not a tough question. It's not even a, it's not even a close question. You're going to use nails. And not only are you going to use nails, you're going to use nails and you're not going to drive them home. You're not going to drive them to where they're solidly banging that siding into the Orient strand board. Final siding has some uh, has some peculiarities to its installation method. So you know of course you start low, right? And the pieces interlock. Now if you'll notice vinyl siding doesn't have nail holes, it has nail slots. And that's for a really important reason. The vinyl has a really big expansion ratio. So if you put the vinyl siding on too tight, 
where it can't slide, it's going to buckle and it looks terrible. You can always see a bad siding job on the south side of the house when the sun hits it and it buckles. And that's because the siding was nailed on too solidly. So you're going to use uh, like a flathead nail, like a roofing nail would be fine or something like that. And you want to just put it in the center of the slot and you don't want to make it tight. You want to leave enough space. When you're done, you should be able to grab that piece of siding and slide back and forth in the slot. You know what I mean? Yeah. And if it slides back and forth, that's perfect. That's exactly what you want. It's not going to fall off. It's not going to blow away. But because you've put it on loosely that way, it'll be able to expand and contract and not buckle. Okay? Well, I'm glad you told me because the first I put the screw in and I put it in tight. Yeah, that's natural. That's what we are sort of, uh, you know, destined to do is to really always make stuff really strong and tight. But when it comes to siding and then vinyl siding, it's just not done that way. And that's why. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, Bev. Good luck with the project. Thanks for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Next up, we've got Daryl in Louisiana. What's going on at your Money Pit? I have a, a older house, probably in seventy, early 70s. And it has the old time um, windows, just single glass pane. And I have a couple of, of good-sized picture windows, like nine feet across or something like that, and they're big, and I lose a lot of energy there. One of them is on the south, on the west side, so I get that afternoon hot sun, yeah. and um, I want to know if it would be better use of my money to replace the window with a new updated double-pane, you know, nice modern window, or put some insulation in the attic, which the attic also needs insulation because there's not you know, there's not much up there. I know I can use, definitely use some insulation. Uh, what would be the best use of the money? All right. So a couple of things come to mind. So first of all, regardless of what you do with this window situation, I definitely would put more insulation in the attic. That's kind of a no brainer. You're always going to get a good return on investment on that. So if you had, you know, if you had eight inches of fiberglass insulation and you could add eight or 10 or 12 more, you want to use unfaced fiberglass bats and then just stack them perpendicular to what you have. You have to trade off storage space. I don't know if you have a floor in that attic because you can't crush the insulation, but putting more insulation in that space is always going to make sense economic and, and comfort wise. Up there now, it looks like it was blown insulation. It's like little pieces of foam or whatever it is. And I can, a lot of, most of the places I can see the rafters. You know, it's not above the rafters, which would be, I guess, eight inches. Um, but if I start putting insulation in there, I have all, all the wiring, like for the, the light sockets and all that, all the wiring is, is on top of that. So would I just put the insulation up, you know, on top of the wiring. Yep. Yeah. You can. Yes. You can have the wiring run through the the fiberglass bats. Um, when you say rafters, I think you're you're referring to the ceiling joists. The rafters are what's carrying the roof. What you don't want to do is you don't want to go all the way at the overhang from the ceiling joists up into those rafters because then you'd be blocking off any ventilation that you had at the overhang. So make sure that you allow for that ventilation. That's important in that that's in that situation. But no, there's no reason to to, to worry about covering as long as you have. Uh, when was your house built? It's probably 72. Okay. So, yeah, so you have traditional uh, non-metallic wiring. If you had a really old house, I would, there'd be, we'd have a different discussion about why you can't cover electrical wiring. But for a house like that, you can certainly put the insulation right on top of that wiring, and uh, I think it's going to make a big difference. Now, back to those picture windows, you have really two options there. So 
yes, you could replace them, and it is a big project, and it's an expensive project, or you could maybe buy yourself some time by just picking up some solar shades. They're reflective on one side, and they help to kind of you know redirect that heat back outside so it doesn't overwhelm the house and add to the cooling load. It's going to be a lot less expensive. They're not nearly as attractive. Or if you do replace the window, you're going to use a low-E glass, which basically means it has an emissivity coating that reflects the UV of the sunlight back outside. So you'll find a huge difference if you put in insulated panels with a UV coating. And most of the Energy Star certified glass has that now anyway. But it's just a, you know, it's a huge difference in terms of cost. So it really depends on what you want to do. And you might, if you are going to do that, you could think about breaking it down, you know, doing the, those, uh, I think you said you had some that were facing west and, and I don't know if it's something that faces south, but do the western southern face first because that gets the most solar gain. Now, back to the insulation real quick. What's the best kind, the kind that you would just, like, blow in, like, in in there now, or getting some kind that rolls out? Can you get around that attic as it is right now? Can you walk around I, it even I, I can. I can, but I'm, I'm walking on the ceiling joists, you know. Tops, on the tops of the, of yeah, the ceiling joists, yeah. yeah. I mean, if it was me, I would use I would use unfaced fiberglass bats. It's a lot easier. If you want to go blown in, you got to rent the machine for that, and, you know, just another layer of complication you don't have to deal with. I would put unfaced fiberglass bats. I would lay them perpendicular to the joists, and I would probably, you know, pick up, I don't know, 10, 12, 14-inch thick bats and just lay them edge to edge right on top of the joists. You have a whole new layer of insulation there. It'll make a big difference for you year-round. Okay, great. I really appreciate it. Yep. Good luck with that project, Daryl. Thanks for calling us at one eight 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 Money Pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get socked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. 
and its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. Well, if you enjoy hanging out in your backyard on these lovely summer evenings, then building a movie screen might be a very fun project for you to take on. It's actually pretty easy. You basically build a frame out of two-by lumber, then attach a white bedsheet to that frame and mount it on a wall or against a fence, wherever you've got space for your family and your friends to gather around. Now, if you want a step-by-step, head on over to arrowfastener.com and click on Projects. You've got all the details there, including a complete materials list and photos of each step. And one tool that makes getting this project done super easy is the T25X WireMate wire stapler. It's a handy ergonomic cable tacker. You can use it for all your wiring projects. We've got one to give away today to one lucky listener along with a T50 stapler and a supply of staples. So give us a call. That winner is going to be drawn at random from those that reach us on today's show. The number again is 1-888-MONEYPET. All right, now we've got Lynn in Delaware on the line who's got a leak in the basement that's as if somebody's turned a faucet on. What's going on? Well, uh, last Thursday we had a torrential rain in Delaware, and okay. um, I was so afraid of trees falling in the rain, I ran down to my basement immediately. And about maybe uh, two minutes being down there, I hear sound like somebody turned on a faucet. So I look behind the um, where the faucet is. It comes from the inside. The water pipe comes from the outside onto the inside. Um, Water was just gushing. It was just gushing in, just like a faucet. So it was coming around the pipe where the pipe comes through the wall? Yes. yes. Okay. Yep. All right. So that makes sense. Uh, you know, what happens is when you get a torrential rain like that, it's going to find the path of the easiest path and the path of least resistance. And the holes that are drilled through foundation walls for things like plumbing, like the hose bib in your case, are going to provide an easy entry. So what I would tell you is, is a couple of things. Now, it probably only happens when you get maybe a severe downpour like this, and maybe even one that's, that's fueled by rain. But I would Number one is I would take silicone, and you can buy a tube of silicone and a little can squeeze tube, or you can buy one and just put into a caulking gun. And I would seal the gap around where the pipe comes through the foundation wall. All right, so next I want you to do the same thing on the inside. This is going to stop 
uh, what happened to you most recently. But the other thing I want you to do is to take a look, if you can, at the drainage conditions outside that wall, because you might find that maybe you have an overflowing gutter there or that you have soil that is sort of settling down and maybe it's moving too much water towards that area of the wall. I don't know how high up this, this hose bib is, but generally the roof and surface drainage conditions are what starts this all. And it's an easy fix. You just got to figure out what it is. Um, downspouts are also really important to check. They Most of the time when the gutter companies put them in, they drop them pretty close to the foundation, but we always like to see them extended out four or five feet. So you're moving all that water out away from that wall, and if you can kind of move it out and keep it away, you're going to find that the whole space is a lot drier. And in your particular case, with this little gusher that happened, sealing the area around the pipe should stop that from happening the next time. Oh, okay. Now, another thing that I'm wondering now that you said about the ground settling and everything, this particular stepway, I've had um, gophers, not gophers, what are them things, groundhogs? Groundhogs, that used to yeah. Under there, and I'm wondering uh-huh. if they could have messed moved the dirt and made a path or something to this? Yeah, they may have. have. Generally, the first four to six feet, you want to do what you can to keep the soil sloping away from the walls those first few feet. So if it does settle in, you just add clean fill dirt, not topsoil, but just fill dirt, very inexpensive, and you pack it in there and you slope it away. Then you could put some mulch or you could put some topsoil and grass over that, but you want to have that soil sloping away, and then it's going to settle every once in a while, and especially if you get any overflowing gutters, it'll just erode and wash away. So that yeah. maintaining that, that sort of slope and that space to keep the walls as dry as possible is important, and it really does uh, help solve a lot of problems with water in the basement and even dampness in the basement. Okay. I appreciate okay. that. That's what I will do then. Thank you so much for taking my call. You're very welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, as summer heat starts to fade away, now is a good time to plan some of those end-of-season projects. We put together a short list of four projects that will save you some time, some money, and help avoid costly repairs down the road. Here are a few of those that should take place before that weather begins to change. All right, first up, now is a great time to fix a swimming pool leak. Now, here's why. A small leak that appears during the summer months can become major repairs during the winter if a freeze-thaw cycle opens up that crack to be an even bigger leak. So you want to make sure you find and fix any of those small leaks now before you put that cover on for winter. Next, and this is one that's really hard to think about right now, Leslie. That's clean the furnace. (laughs) <laughs> when it's nine uh, yeah, degrees I'm not out. Putting the heat on. <laughs> yeah, hard to think about that, but here's why. You know, once it starts to get a little bit colder, the HVAC companies get really, really busy servicing those machines. Anytime you have a especially if you have a, a gas or an oil or a propane system, it's gotta be clean because just like your car, if you don't clean it once in a while, if you don't get a tune up once in a while, it starts to run rough and it can be dangerous. So get in line now when the demand is low, get those technicians out to fix your furnace, do the service on it, change out the filters, and you'll be good to go on the first chilly day you want to turn it on. All right, and you've also got to look for leaks in general around your money pit. Now, summer is a major time for water damage to occur in and around the home. Those summer storms popped off maybe some roof shingles. Perhaps you've got a leaking AC unit. And, you know, there's some other common sources where water can lead to mold, mildew, and then wood rot if it's not repaired quickly. So now really is the time to get those jobs done.
And while you're putting away your summer belongings, be sure to check out the condition of your driveway. This is a project I did last year, and I'm really glad I did because the driveway was looking a bit worn. If your driveway has cracks or potholes, the end of the summer is a great time to make those repairs. Patching is something you can do yourself. There are products available at home centers, or you could have a pro come in and do it for you. Now's a great time before that freeze-thaw cycle kicks in because then we mentioned that earlier. You know, when it gets wet and the moisture that gets in the driveway or in the wall or in the wherever freezes, it expands, and that really tears up those surfaces. So do it now, and you'll be good to go for the season. John in Pennsylvania is on the line, has a question about flooring. What can we do for you today? Uh, We're about to become homeowners, and we need to rip up some carpet, and we want to install hardwood flooring. Uh, we were curious how far you have to leave it away from your new floor, away from the wall. Is it pre-finished hardwood, John? Yeah, it's uh, all finished, yep. Okay, well, that's great. Now, um, I would recommend probably around uh, half of an inch. You want to okay. make it uh, so that a piece of baseboard molding plus shoe molding will cover it. So between baseboard and shoe molding, you've probably got about an inch to an inch and a quarter uh, of, uh, of overlap, so to speak. So generally about a half inch will work. Most of the flooring manufacturers will give you specific advice on what the gap should be. But, but I say generally about a half inch is fine. And remember, that's a half inch away from the drywall because even um, you have space uh, under the drywall as well. It adds another half inch. That should give you plenty of room for expansion and contraction. Okay. And then the other question was when we get the new floors uh, delivered, they said you have to leave it a certain amount of time before we install it to get, I guess, acclimated to our weather yeah you want to acclimate it to the space that's going to be in because if it comes like really cold for example it's going to kind of shrink and then if it expands it could buckle up so you want to just put it in the room that you're going to install it in and leave it there for a good couple of days to acclimate okay great good luck with that project it's very exciting this is your first house yeah yeah first house yep all right well good luck i appreciate it thank you Well, a garage is for housing your cars, but these days, seriously, who puts their car in a garage? I certainly don't. I mean, you definitely put everything else in there, but so many families do use the garage as the main entrance to their home, and then the rest of the area could be a workshop, a hobby space, maybe even a socially distant home gym. Well, with the garage getting so much wear and tear, it makes sense to give the floors a protective coating that's going to do double duty. It's going to work well, but also beautify the space. Well, that's right. Garage floors need to look good, but they also need to be able to handle some pretty severe conditions. I mean, we're talking about road salt dropping off the car. It's very corrosive, and it's got to be able to do that all winter long. So probably one of the best options is an epoxy floor coating. It goes on like paint, and it's a good project to do in a weekend. It's not terribly difficult, which makes it perfect for DIYers. Okay, so now walk us through the process. How do we start this project so that we don't, you know, mess it up? Because I know it's kind of like a chemical reaction, right? Yeah, it's a bit of a chemistry project. So, uh, and just like most painting projects, it starts with prep, except when it comes to the epoxy floor systems, there is an acid wash step. It kind of etches the surface and it makes sure that the paint can properly stick because adhesion, of course, that is really, really important. And next comes the epoxy. Now, the difference about working with epoxy compared to regular paint is that it is a two-part process. When you buy the epoxy garage floor paints, one part is the 
paint and one part is the hardener. You need to mix them together as directed so a chemical reaction does occur and allows the paint to dry to a really hard, durable finish. Now, you can't like mix it together and go, you know what, this is a really good time for me to take lunch because <laughs> once it's mixed, the epoxy has about two hours to two and a half hours of sort of can life. So you don't want to mix up any more than you can use at that one time. And whenever you're painting a floor, it's a good idea to work in what I call like a two foot deep kind of a circle, like two foot by six foot kind of area. I kind of like to work in arcs and then I walk backwards and then you apply the finish in a perpendicular direction. So you're getting good coverage that way and you're making some progress and you're moving it along. Now with this product or this type of product, is it multiple coats? Is it one coat? How do you know when you've kind of got enough? Well, I will say that the pros usually do at least two coats. They let the first one dry overnight and then apply a second. And there is something that can be done to dress up the floor even further and kind of hide inconsistencies or imperfections. And that is you can add color flakes to the epoxy. There's different colors of these flakes, and they give it a little bit of a a texture. And some folks go a step further than that, and they'll add a clear coat on top of that. But I would say at least two coats if you're a DIYer. All right. Now, if you don't want to deal with epoxy, maybe the thought of, you know, sort of having a time limit or mixing these things together, is there another product that we can be using that'll give us the same durability, but maybe not be such a process? Well, I mean, if you don't want to paint the floor, and if you are going to paint it all, I would use epoxy. But if you don't want to do that, there are other options. You could use a sheet product, which basically rolls down. It's very thick, usually has a sort of like a textured or almost a diamond plate kind of surface to it. And it's typically rubber. So you can use a sheet flooring product like that designed for the exterior space that the garage is. Or you can use floor tiles. There are garage floor tiles, and I did this, by the way. Um, these look like a puzzle piece. They have interconnecting mm-hmm. edges, and they're pretty Is it big. almost like a gym floor? Yeah, I wouldn't say a gym floor. You mean the kind where it's like the foam is like locked together? Yeah. Um, not really. It's a no, hard so these tile. these are hard. It's a okay. hard tile, right. And it has, a, it has a, a puzzle edge to it. And the tiles were about 20 inches square, from what I remember. And we basically just locked them together and stacked them together. And we were able to order tiles in different colors and make kind of an attractive pattern. That's fun. And that's what we did in my sort of shop slash garage, which is a space I spend a fair amount of time in. So I wanted it to be nice. And that's a little bit more expensive than the epoxy products. But you certainly have the options. And I think now is a really good time to think about that. If you've never done this before, you're going to really enjoy seeing how clean, organized, and finished a beautiful floor. And there's one more benefit to doing this project, Leslie. It forces you, forces you to empty the entire garage. So you have to clean it at the same time. (laughs) Oh, that is a project. All right. Good tips. Chet in Michigan, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? I attended an energy show where they were showing an energy shield or a ramp made out of aluminum. What it was designed to do was to uh, basically block the radiant heat from penetrating your house in the summer. Thus, you use less energy, I guess, to stay cooler. And then in the wintertime, what it does, it prevents your heat from escaping, very much like the astronauts use uh, from the extreme temperature in space. Um, since I'm building a new house, could you put this wrap between your ceiling drywall and the bottom of your trusses, or is there a better way of keeping the radiant heat from penetrating your house in the summer? What you're talking about here is a product called Reflective Barrier, and I have to say that I'm not convinced that it works really well 
and would not necessarily recommend it. And, and usually it's put in a, a home that's already constructed. It's a little bit easier to put in a home that obviously is being built. But there are far better alternatives if you really want to make your home energy efficient. I would tell you to look into spray foam insulation, specifically isonine. Uh, because when you use a spray foam insulation in new construction, it does two things. Not only does it insulate, but it seals every possible little gap that is going to be throughout that building. And when the walls are open like that, you can have it sprayed and it's going to do that. It's also quieter in terms of preventing sound transmission. It just has so many wonderful benefits. I would tell you to focus on something like that to give yourself a real benefit and stay away from the radiant barrier products. Oh, okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome, Chet. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, painting your house is a job that's got to be done every couple of years, you know, at the end of summer, early fall. That's kind of the best time frame for that project. So we've got a few tips for a great looking exterior paint job that will last for years. Now, first up, preparation is obviously key. An inexperienced painter cannot wait to begin applying the paint, but... Oh, that's the their first know. step. Paint. Oh, yeah. Got to get paint on, right? <laughs> Put the paint on. <laughs> If you're a pro and you know that you want this paint job to last so you don't get callbacks from very unhappy customers, it's really, really important you get the prep right. Otherwise, that's exactly what's going to happen. You're going to get peeling paint and it'll be a mess. So before you start to paint, make sure that surface is clean, free of dirt, free of chalk, which is like when the paint surface starts to like disintegrate. Scrub it, rinse it, remove any loose flaking or peeling paint by scraping, wire brushing, sanding. On the wood siding, you want to make sure you sand areas that have any kind of a sheen on it, any kind of a glossy paint surface. Otherwise, that new paint is not going to stick. And if you see any bare wood, you have to do something called spot priming. That just means that you buy primer and you prime the spot that's bare. You don't have to prime the whole thing, although it's not really a bad thing to do that. But you have to definitely prime that spot that is there because that's going to give you good adhesion. If you skip the step, you are going to be very sad, we predict, anywhere from uh, three to six months down the road. I mean, it's true. You really have to do this work. Now, here's another thing that I think people just kind of ignore or don't think is important, but it is. You've got to buy good paint. Even though the highest quality exterior paint does cost a little bit more, this is not a spot to think, oh, I should cut corners and buy the one that's less expensive. I mean, most of paint Painting is labor. You're going to put in a lot of work here, and your exterior paint job needs to last far longer and be less expensive in the long run. So use the best possible paint so you're not doing this project again sooner than you have to. Now, another place to not cut corners is in the brushes and the rollers that you are using. You want to use the best quality brush and roller that's going to give you the best finish. Just make sure you buy the right nap or bristle for the type of paint and the type of surface. So that way you know it's good. I can't tell you how many times over the years people have called me and said, I must have got some bad paint because this happened or that <laughs> happened. And I'm like, no, no bad paint, people. It's just bad painters. The chances of anybody having bad paint are like infinitesimal. So somewhere you missed a, a prep step. I can guarantee it. Uh, finally, watch out for the weather. Uh, it's not a foul weather sport. You've got to make sure that uh, you have the right temperatures. If you try to paint your home when the exterior is too warm, it's going to dry too quickly and it's not going to flow. 
low right, and that's going to make it look kind of weird. You might see some brush strokes, and of course, if you wait too long, it gets too cold, you can't do that either. So pay attention to the weather. There is no doubt that painting the exterior of your house is one very big DIY project, but if you keep a few tips in mind as you're doing that, make sure you paint properly, use good product, and you follow the weather, you're going to have a job that you're really proud of for many years to come. So you can call us at 888-MONEYPIT or post your question to moneypit.com or to facebook.com slash themoneypit, which is what Julie did in Chicago. That's right. Julie writes, the sliding glass doors on my tub enclosure were looking disgusting, so I removed them. That's a technical term, by the way, disgusting. Disgusting. Just Mm -hmm. pointing that out. She says, including (laughs) the frame strips, can I replace the door myself or do I need to hire someone? And is there anything tricky about this project? Yeah, you know, the tracks that those doors ride in, especially the bottom track, the water sits in there like all the time, doesn't ever drain properly. So it gets really gross and moldy looking. And uh, eventually they do need to be replaced. And, and today, when you do replace them, I would make sure that you've got tracks that are draining properly, because that's usually what spells the end of these. That plus just cleaning the doors over the years tends to sort of fade the finish or make it a bit rust. I, te- I definitely think it's a DIY project. I mean, it's not all that difficult to do. You need to basically disassemble the whole thing and, and reassemble the new stuff, which goes in pretty much the same way. So you start with a track that attaches to the shower pan, right? And usually you have to put a caulk sealant under that. And then from there, you have two vertical sort of side door jams that go up each side of the shower. And then from there, you put one sort of headpiece that flips, that just basically stacks over those side jams and drop in the doors themselves. So as long as you measure everything out properly and keep to those dimensions so that there's no drag, the doors aren't too high or too low, I think it's it's a pretty straightforward replacement project. What do you think, Leslie? I mean, I think it's definitely a project you can do yourself, provided you can hold the weight of the door. You know, it's like you want to make sure that you're not going to accidentally drop or damage the piece in the process. So if you've got a buddy or you think it's manageable, then it's definitely something you can do on your own. All right. Next up, we've got a post here from Corinne in Pennsylvania. Now, Corinne writes, the black flexible spacers between the three big concrete slabs that make up my driveway are brittle and are coming out. How do I replace them with what? And can I do it myself? Yeah, again, I think it's a DIY project. Now, first of all, those spacers are basically expansion strips, and they are put in there uh, to basically give some sap- separation between the different sections of the concrete slab. And over time, they do deteriorate. So what you can do is pull those out. Um, then you're going to want to insert a, a foam backer rod into that sort of slot that is formed and have that be you know, maybe a half inch or three quarters of an inch below the surface. The reason you're doing that is because the last thing you're going to do is you're going to apply a self-leveling sealant, and that's going to sit on top of that back or ride and attach to either side of the concrete, and this way you won't have to put excessive amounts of that sealant, because it is 6 or $7 a tube. QuickCrete makes a really good one. In fact, I just did it to sections of my driveway. Uh, we had self-living sealant there at the apron, where it goes between the driveway and the garage, and it worked perfectly. Yeah, Corinne, I mean, that's one thing. When you buy a house, you never know what improvements or things were kind of temporary fixes and things that should have been permanent, so hopefully this helps you out. Doesn't last forever. Maybe concrete, but it doesn't last forever. <laughs> 
You've been listening to the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. We are so glad you spent part of your day with us. We hope your summer has gone well. And if you're thinking about projects for the cooler months ahead, we're not rushing you through the end of summer. We've still got a few warm weeks. But if you're thinking about some projects through the cooler months ahead, get those together. Give us a call with your questions at one eight 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 Money Pit anytime it comes to mind. We're open twenty four seven. I never let Leslie sleep. She always answers the phone. And so uh, she'd be happy to take your question. No, actually, yeah, we, we have a yeah, we, we have a great team that does take yeah, we have a great team that takes the calls twenty four seven. So give us a call. We will call you back the next time we are in the studio. Until then, I'm Tom Kreitler and I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself, but you don't have to do it alone. You live in a body pit.